The U.S. Health Resources and Services Administration defines health equity as the absence of avoidable differences among socioeconomic and demographic groups or geographic areas in health status and health outcomes, such as disease or mortality. The COVID-19 pandemic, which has disproportionately affected Black, Latinx, and Indigenous Americans, is the latest manifestation of the failure to achieve health equity in the United States. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Michelle Evans, a Senior Investigator and the Deputy Scientific Director at the National Institute on Aging, and a member of the journal's editorial board. As part of the journal's series on the fundamentals of U.S. health policy, Dr. Evans has written a perspective article about health equity in the United States. Dr. Evans, as you write in your article, Black Latinx and indigenous Americans are dying from COVID-19 at disproportionately high rates. So what has the pandemic taught us about health inequities and access to care in this country? Well, I think unfortunately it uncovers something that those of us in the medical profession face every day, that individuals from minority backgrounds are at greater risk. The COVID pandemic really is sort of the superimposition of an acute medical problem or acute condition with high virulence upon pre-existing, poorly managed, severe chronic disease. So it's health inequities that sort of have permitted this acute infection to really exploit existing susceptibilities among Blacks, Latinx, and Indigenous populations whose baseline medical health conditions frequently include diabetes, systemic arterial hypertension, asthma, and obesity. So these medical vulnerabilities, driven by social and political determinants of health, unfortunately created a conducive environment for infection and transmission that has resulted in disparate infection, hospitalization rates, as well as the significantly disproportionate mortality rates that we're seeing. How have health policies widened or or failed to close the gaps in health status and health outcomes among minority patients in the United States? Well, I think one of the issues certainly has been the availability of health care access, because what is sort of most important in terms of susceptibility is it's not only that we just have a higher prevalence of these chronic diseases, but it's also the severity of the disease and disparities in disease control and management. So hypertension is more frequently corrected and managed appropriately in 60% of whites with hypertension compared to less than 50% of African Americans and Hispanics. And that relates to the higher uninsured rate as well as the fact that many minorities have no usual source of care that ultimately impedes their access to high-quality care. And much of this is related to low levels of economic viability in our economy. African Americans, Hispanics, and Indigenous Americans are frequently segregated in either low-paying occupations such as service industry. They also occupy jobs that perhaps are in the new gig economy that don't even have health insurance linked to their job. And many of these low-paying jobs, particularly now in the pandemic, many of these workers have been left out of the economic picture altogether with higher unemployment rates. And the fact that we link insurance to employment, again, increases 
the inaccessibility of healthcare access to these populations. So looking at that sort of more general public policy area, in your article, you talk about the effects of childhood poverty on health, educational attainment, employment opportunities, income, and you write that nearly three quarters of children living in poverty are non-white. So what kinds of general public policies would begin to address intergenerational poverty and children's health? Well, I think the government has made some start in terms of the earned income tax credit, the supplemental nutritional assistance program, the national school lunch program, as well as the temporary assistance to needy families and other excellent family support programs that do lift children from poverty. However, there are gaps that remain in the support network for children. And this is continued in terms of educational opportunities. For example, we know that low economic conditions in the family is associated with poor health outcomes, but also with poor educational outcomes. So if we look here in the terms of the pandemic, we're looking at, for example, in the city of Baltimore, almost 40% of households have no laptop. And if you're a child and your school has gone completely remote, that may mean that you're winding up trying to do your homework on your parents' cell phone if they even have cell phone access. So a simple thing like changing the digital divide, making sure that children nationwide have access to Internet. We frequently think that maybe it's the rural areas of the country that do not have access to the Internet. However, in an urban eastern city like Baltimore, we have limited Internet accessibility for a large number of poor children that will ultimately result in even furthering the existing low and limited educational opportunity for them. You also mentioned in your article inadequate diversity among healthcare professionals as another contributor to these disparities. To what extent is the resolution of that going to wait for answers to these economic and education policy questions, and how much can be accomplished through more targeted attempts now to recruit non-white health professionals? I think there's no new information about the underrepresentation of minorities in STEM. NSF's post-secondary education data from 2016 shows that only 22% of those who received bachelor's degrees in science and engineering were underrepresented minority students. Only 9% of science and engineering doctorate degrees were awarded to underrepresented minority students. This is not new information. We need to do better in terms of focusing at the undergraduate level at building the pipeline. The AAMC, in their most recent set of data for the matriculation year of 2019-2020, shows us that over 21,000 matriculants, only 230 of them were indigenous Americans. That's 1.1%. Only 95 of them were native Hawaiians or Pacific Islanders. Those are numbers we can start to do something about now. And it's critically important that we do this because at this rate, we're never going to achieve a diverse physician workforce. Whites comprise about 60% of the U.S. population and about 56% of practicing physicians are whites. So whites have a significantly increased chance of finding a culturally concordant physician. And while I feel that most physicians give great care 
the best care they are able to deliver in the setting in which they are practicing, regardless of a patient's racial and ethnic group, there are several studies that suggest racial concordance between physicians and their patients is a significantly influential factor in health outcomes as well as in success of disease management and control. Recent work that was published this month in PNAS by Brad Greenwood and I believe Rachel Hardiman showed that racial concordance is a critical factor in childbirth, which is an area of persistent and in some communities a worsening health disparity. They showed that newborn physician racial concordance is associated with a significant improvement in survival for black infants in Florida. The result was even more pronounced in medically complicated childbirth situations as well as in hospitals that deliver more black neonates. So we have to take this seriously. And the reason why I circle back to childhood poverty here is that's where we must start. If we are starting with keeping children in poverty and not raising them up from poverty, we are just reigniting health disparities and health inequities from one generation to the next. So we have to really consider a comprehensive view of how we will address this problem from the aspect of diversity among health professionals, but even in terms of national security, because the military has problems nationwide with the unevenness of our healthcare system. The Heritage Foundation reported in 2017 that among the 71% of citizens who were between the ages of 17 to 24 and eligible to serve in the military, 32% of those were ineligible because of health-related conditions, including obesity, asthma, and mental health conditions, which says to me at least that we have a nationwide problem with dealing with health in children, adolescents, and young adults. You also say in your article that, like biomedical research, health policy needs to embrace ethical tenets, respect for persons, beneficence, justice. So what would policy reform that focuses on those ethical tenets look like? Well, I think we need, as a nation, to reflect on what are the important tenets of being an American? What are the things that we respect? And we respect equity. We respect equality. And how can we purport to live up to the foundational tenets of our country if we are unable to respect one another's rights. And I certainly believe that healthcare is a right. Health equity is all about providing the opportunity for everyone to be as healthy as they possibly can be. And we cannot continue to abridge that right. There are many ways to get to that point, but I think we all must embrace as the goal to achieve health equity. I'm not a health policy expert, but as a physician and a citizen, I believe that policy reform should be aimed at that one universal goal, achieving health equity. Finally, what today can individual physicians do to promote health equity in their own practices and on a policy level? Well, I think in the issue facing physicians is very complex. I think we need to recognize that there's a difference between equality and equity. 
since there is such disparity in health, education, economic opportunity, clinicians must provide care that recognizes that equal treatment may not be enough to close the gap or to correct the systemic disadvantage that some of their patients face. The recognition of these special needs, personal targeting of those needs, and the provision of medical care and ancillary support is critical. The issues that physicians face in the care of disenfranchised and marginalized populations, they're complex problems. They're multidimensional problems. They're problems that hit back every day. For example, Many believe that medical algorithms are critical to guide physicians in providing the best care possible. We as physicians come to define high-quality care sometimes by following evidence-based medical algorithms. So we also have to think that these disease-based medical algorithms must be adjusted for the social and political determinants of health. If these algorithms are applied too rigidly without considering the contextual nature of the care you're providing, they may, in fact, for some patients, reduce the overall quality of the outcomes that we're seeking to provide. And this is a major challenge because it's not that physicians do not wish to understand how race, how poverty, how literacy, immigration status, housing, density, occupation... They want to understand how these play a role in the disease process and in the context of the treatment plan. But physicians are also faced with the length of patient encounters that have become so short and often so rushed because of patient volume and paperwork and other factors that may be out of their control but may perhaps be in the control of the major medical systems for which they work. So this is a situation where physicians, as well as major academic medical centers, health insurance providers, need to work together to understand that there needs to be personalization of care, just as in the enormous expansion of genomic understanding of how to best treat tumors, on an individualized basis. We need to understand how to best treat patients on an individualized basis, understanding the context in which they live, the context in which they suffer from and are burdened by health disparities and health inequities. Thank you, Dr. Evans.